I'm excited to jump into our part two of the unfortunate events of the best summer ever. Now, my family got a real boost in the best summer ever this week as we married off our oldest son. And that was a fun experience for our family. I was privileged to perform the ceremony. It was an amazing time of worship and celebration. Now, I will tell you, there was one scary moment. Well, there were several scary moments. I'm going to tell you about one of them. Uh, one of them was in the rehearsal dinner. I was sitting by Weston, enjoying the rehearsal dinner, being emotionally moved periodically through that experience. And all of a sudden, I had this thought in my mind, I wonder when he's going to give me the marriage license. Now, Lindley and I did some of the encouragement and counseling along the way, but we were not the primary premarital counselors in the situation. This does not go as well when your son is one of those getting married. It's better if somebody else takes the bulk of that. Well, that means I didn't focus in on a lot of the details like the marriage license. And so I wasn't really sure kind of what they'd been thinking and doing. And I just thought it'd be a good idea if I checked on this and I got it from him. And so during the middle of the rehearsal dinner, I leaned over to Weston and I said, hey, where is the marriage license? Are you guys going to give that to me tonight? And there was a pause and it seemed to me that his eyes got a little bit bigger. And there was enough of a pause, enough of a change in his countenance that all of a sudden I had these nightmare thoughts flash across my mind like, oh no, he didn't get a marriage license. What are we going to do? Have you ever been in a situation where you realized you didn't have what you needed and you had no way to get it on your own? Not a good moment. Well, thankfully, he actually had the marriage license, gave it to me that night, and we were all good to go and had the greatest time celebrating. But I did have that moment of, I am terrified of what that would be like. Now, here we are rolling through the best summer ever together. And whether we like it or not, there's only a few weeks left in the best summer ever. I don't know if your best summer ever has been like my best summer ever, but I've had a series of unfortunate events in my best summer ever. And I don't know if you were encouraged by last Sunday, if you were able to be here for part one. I told Lindley I felt like part one may have been more for me than anybody else in the church. I found a lot of encouragement in God's Word, encouraging me to consider it all joy when I encounter a series of unfortunate events. And his word was so instructive to me and I was so encouraged by that, I hope you were too. And I, I want to encourage you again today through God's word with this part two in James chapter one, verses five through eight. Because here's the thing, when we encounter unfortunate events, and we all will, those events most often are unexpected events that just seem to crash into our lives. And when those unfortunate events occur, many times those unfortunate events reveal to us that we need something we do not have. And I love that in the moment where we feel 
like we need something we do not have in an unfortunate event, that very moment of need can be the moment where that unfortunate event is transformed into a pathway to the best summer ever or the best fall ever or the best marriage ever or the best family ever, the best job ever. What we need in every unfortunate event is always just a question away. So let's read together. James chapter 1. We're actually going to start reading in verse 2 so we catch the whole context of verses 5 through 8 where we will focus. So let's start reading in verse 2. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. One of the things in life that I do as infrequently as necessary is go to the mall. I don't particularly like going to the mall. It seems that the moment I walk into the mall or a shopping center that I become lost. I mean, the moment I walk in the door, it's like complete disorientation. And it takes about 30 minutes in a mall for me to feel like I've done eight hours of hard labor. Now, I know there's some of you that cannot relate to that. You go to the mall and you feel like energy is just flowing out of you. You are so fired up you can't. You are just right where you're supposed to be. You're at home. You love it. I'm the opposite. I walk into the mall. I feel lost. Now, I never feel more lost in the mall than when I'm going to the mall to shop for something for Lindley. Now, I don't do that very often, but when I do, I feel as lost as ever. Now, in my younger years, when we first got married, and on those few occasions, I would venture to the mall to try to buy something for her, and I walked into a particular store I thought maybe might have something she'd like, and I felt completely lost from the moment I walked into, into that store. An employee would often come up to me and say to me, can I help you? And I would be so unsettled, so lost, so disoriented and, and full of anxiety that I would say, no, I'm good. <laughs> I would lie because I was anything but good. And the moment I said I'm good and I saw that worker walk away, the moment, that moment anxiety continued to rise in my heart. And I think I regret so deeply having just lied to that person. I am completely lost and helpless here. And eventually the anxiety would grow so much that I'd just get anything that I thought I could get that would, you know, 
satisfy the situation or I would finally break down to ask. Now, in my later years, now, here's the way I do it. I walk into a store. I find the first employee I can see. I walk up to that employee. I say, hey, here's what I'm doing. Here's what I'm looking for. I have no clue where I'm at, what I'm doing. I have no way to find anything. I am completely helpless, and I need you to help me. And that's the way I roll now. And that's a lot better way to roll, right, for somebody like me. So wisdom is like that. This passage says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask. Now, if you're thinking this morning, or if any of us ever read this passage and think to ourselves, if any of us lacks wisdom, I'm good. I got it. I just want to give you a clue. That's your first indication you lack wisdom. Because we all lack wisdom in general. But never more so than when we encounter an unfortunate event. Every time any one of us, and we all will, encounter an unfortunate event in our life, that is the moment that we lack Wisdom, and oftentimes in those unfortunate events, our need for wisdom becomes very apparent in the middle of that event. We all lack wisdom, and we need it. I am so grateful that God graciously commands us to ask for what we need. Now, before we get into the asking what that's like, I want you to be reminded of what it is exactly that you're asking for when you ask for the wisdom of James chapter 1, verse 5. So you got you to know what you're asking for. Now, I've been through what I think is oftentimes my fair share of unfortunate events, as I'm sure many of you probably think about your lives along the way. And I've also, over the years, seen many, many people go through unfortunate events of all shapes and sizes. You imagine an unfortunate event, I've probably seen something similar to that in my role as a pastor in a local church. We've been through a lot of unfortunate events. And as I've observed people, as I've thought about my own reactions to unfortunate events, there is one question that rises to the surface in people's hearts and minds when they encounter an unexpected, unfortunate event. It's there in my life. It's there in your lives. I've seen it again and again, most prominently and most frequently, this one question rise to the surface of people's hearts and minds as they encounter unfortunate events. You know the question. The question, why? Why is this happening? Why are you letting this occur? Why me? Why now? Why this? It's interesting to me that the most prominent question that rises to the surface of our hearts and minds in the midst of unfortunate events is the very question that demonstrates our great need for God's wisdom. I've had the chance on some fishing trips and some trips up north to observe eagles, bald eagles, and their nests. Have you ever seen an eagle's nest? It's it's magnificent. It's huge. Mass of sticks and other debris put together by the mama eagle. 
Now, what I did not know, I later read after observing an eagle's nest. The, the mama eagle takes and builds this nest from twigs and thorns, even sharp rocks and other objects individually you think may not be suitable for building a nest for eggs. And yet that's what she does. She builds it out of all this stuff that maybe in and of itself would be unsuitable. But then she lines that nest with fur and hair and feathers from other animals that the mama ega has killed. And so she makes this nest lined with this soft bed for the eggs to rest in. Once the eagles hatch, they begin to grow up. And the closer they get to flying age, the mama eagle takes her talons and beak and starts to rip out some of that soft lining of the feathers and hair and little by little makes that nest more and more uncomfortable so that those baby eagles who are now getting to flying age will not think that the comfort of the nest and the free meals every day are a reason to stay in the nest. So she makes it a little uncomfortable. Does that sound familiar to anybody? That's what she does. And with that and other urgings, that those, those baby eagles fly. And they move into something far better than the comfort of the nest could have ever delivered them. Now, the little baby eagle who says to itself in the midst of that change of the nest where things become difficult and prickly and pokey, that little eagle that says, by looking at the nest, why did she do this to me? misses the whole point. But the little eagle who takes its eyes off the nest and looks up and sees the mama eagle flying high in the sky and decides to take that leap out of that nest and join her will forever see the world differently. Sometimes when we ask the question, why? God's reminding us there's something far better that we need in the moment of an unfortunate event than simply knowing why. You know, there's nowhere in the scripture that gives us any indication that God intends us, this side of heaven, to see the world like he sees it. There's nowhere in the Bible that gives us any indication that we are going to ever know why like God knows why. In fact, the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 55 that his ways and his thoughts are so much higher than our ways and our thoughts that we can't get what he thinks and we can't understand his ways. And the quest for the answer why is not the wisdom of God. Now, what God wants us to do is he wants us to accept that his wisdom is exactly what we need. And so his wisdom, when we ask, is asking for the ability to let go of a firm grip on the why and instead get a firm grip on God himself. 
See, the wisdom of God that we're asking for is the wisdom of God that transfers our thinking and our need in the moment of an unfortunate event to let go of the why is this happening to me and grab hold of the God, I want to find you. Where are you in this? I need you. I want to see you. And by seeing you, I want to know how to follow you and take the next step into joy. The wisdom of God enables us to ask much better questions than why. The wisdom of God enables us to ask, where are you? What are you doing in my life right now that just might lead me out of the nest of what I think is comfort to something far better than I can ever imagine? When you ask for God's wisdom, his wisdom comes into your life so that in the middle of any unfortunate event, you can find him. You can find him and take the very next step towards joy. That's the wisdom he's offering, and he simply says that what you need in the midst of any unfortunate event is only a question away. And so he commands us to ask, just to ask him. And he says, if you ask me, I will give to you in a generous way, without reproach. I'm going to give wisdom to you if you ask me, and how I'm going to give it to you is generously and without reproach. I love that picture. Today, when you, when you get home, hopefully, before you left the house, you turned off all your lights, and you're practicing, you know, conservation and so when you get home the house is completely dark no lights are on and you walk into that house that's dark and you walk over to a light switch and you flip it on the moment you flip on that switch guess what's going to happen technically I don't know if this is the right description to give but I know practically this is what it seems like is happening you flip on that switch and all of a sudden a flow of electricity goes to that light And it's not a surge of electricity, it's a continuous flow of electricity that keeps that light on as long as the switch is on. The way that God tells us in this passage that he gives wisdom is just like that. A continual supply of wisdom that lights the way to him and the very next step towards joy. Wisdom. A continual supply. It's not just a continual supply. It's generous in that continuous supply. Think about when you turn on one light in your house. Your house is using a very small amount of electricity, but your house has access to the grid. The grid is a generous supply of electricity, so much so that if you go home today and you turn on one light, then another light, then another light, and another appliance, and then another appliance, then your AC and another appliance, and you just get everything in your house working on electricity, guess what? The grid is supplying electricity based on your need for the moment to an abundant and continuous measure. And no matter how much electricity your house needs, guess what? Your neighbor's not next door saying, man, the Eckert's over there. They got everything turned on because, look, we can't even light three lights. 
They're not saying that because they're accessing the same grid that has a generous supply of electricity that can supply every home in your neighborhood to the nth degree for everything they need. That's God's wisdom. He gives it generous and continuous supply so that no matter what unfortunate event you walk into, there's always ample continuous supply of his wisdom to give you exactly what you need in that event to find him and take the next step in joy. He gives wisdom generously. And he gives wisdom without reproach. Have you ever been in an unfortunate event and done something unfortunate because you were in an unfortunate event? Now, I'm not going to point fingers or make uh, necessary confessions here, but have you ever been in a, a car wreck and somebody hits you and you're completely shocked by that and before you recognize what you've done, a, a profane word came out of your mouth? I, I don't want anybody to raise their hand, but have you ever had something like that happen? Have you ever been in a situation where something unfortunate happens and uh, somebody comes up to you in the middle of your experience of something unfortunate happening and you do something very unfortunate to them, like let them have it like it's all their fault? And they're like, what in the world just happened? Have you ever been in the middle of an unfortunate event and done something terribly unfortunate? Yeah, we all have, right? Because so many times in an unfortunate event, we, we lose perspective. And we begin to act on the emotions of that event and we do something unfortunate. Now, here's the beauty of God's promise to give wisdom when we ask for it. He gives it without reproach, which means if in the last unfortunate event in your life, you didn't pass the test of faith, you didn't consider it joy, you lambasted a bunch of people and you failed in your own life and you walked into sin, you made some big mistakes, God's not going to respond to you the next time you ask for wisdom because he tells you to ask for wisdom in an unfortunate event when you need it and you know you need it. When you ask him, he's not going to say to you, you remember the last time you came to me? What didn't do so good, did you? Well, this time, I'm just going to give you a little bit of wisdom to remind you of the utter failure you are and to show you that you'll never make it without me. Now, I'm going to give you an opportunity to fail again by not giving you enough wisdom because you messed up last time. No, God gives his wisdom without reproach. It doesn't matter whether you failed last time or whether you marvelously succeeded last time. God does not give his wisdom on the basis of our merit, what we deserve. If God made a decision to give his wisdom on the basis of what we deserve, guess what we would all get? Nothing. Because we never deserve the grace of God. But instead, he gives without reproach. He's not giving on the basis of what you and I deserve. He's giving on the basis of his grace, which is abundant and always free and ready to be given because of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. Giving without reproach means that God's not going to give you his wisdom to make you feel bad about needing it. God's not going to remind you just how needy you are so that you respond to your need by thinking, I am a terrible person. No, God's going to give you wisdom so that you recognize your need and you see his sufficiency. And you know that the way he's given to you is because he's decided to love you just where you are just the way you are.
He gives generously and he gives without reproach. And what we need in every unfortunate event is just a question away. But you notice here in this passage, we are told that we must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he would receive anything from the Lord, being double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So we're told to ask. We're told how God is going to answer. And it blows us away that God would answer that way in our greatest need. That exactly what we need is promised us in the exact way we need it. And then we're told, but you have to ask. And you have to ask with faith and no doubt. I read a little anecdotal story several years ago about a dad who took his little boy out on the front porch and got his little boy to stand up on the railing of the front porch. His dad went down the stairs of the front porch out into the yard. And so the little boy's standing up above the dad and the dad's standing there in front of the boy and he starts to coax the boy, hey, I want you to jump off the railing into my arms and I'll catch you. The little boy's scared. He's not going to do it. He says, no, I'm not going to do it. And the dad says, yes, just jump off. Come on, you can do it. You can do it. Keeps encouraging him. And finally, the boy says, okay, I'm going to jump. And right as he takes the leap off the railing of the porch, the dad moves back out of the way and lets the boy smash to the ground. Now, what dad would do that? Little boy gets up. He's all dirty. Tears coming down his face. And his dad looks at him and says, let this be a lesson to you, son. Don't ever trust anyone. Now, we hear that story, and we get mad about that, don't we? Like, that makes us angry. But how many times in an unfortunate event do we find ourselves questioning the goodness of our heavenly Father. Unfortunate events oftentimes make us feel like God let us crash to the ground. And that's why we ask questions like why. We get up off the ground and we're covered with dirt and tears are running down our cheeks. And we wonder why God didn't catch us. You ever feel like that in an unfortunate event? We oftentimes will ask God for help, but we'll already know in our minds the kind of help we think he should give. We know what God should do, and we expect him to do what we're asking him to do because we know what's best in our lives. And then when it doesn't work out, we wonder why he let us crash to the ground. You ever feel like that? Do you, do you know what all of that is? All of that description is just a way to describe doubting. That's what it is. We look at God and we say, why did you let this happen? Why didn't you catch me? Why did you let me have this pain? Why did you hurt me like this? When in reality, 
God never let us hit the ground. He's been carrying us all along. But doubt is that questioning of who God is and and what God says he'll do and our emotions in the unfortunate event causing us to think differently about God than he really is. And God's saying, look, if you want to receive wisdom from me in the measure I can give in the moment you need it most, you just need to ask me. But here's the thing, you've got to ask me without doubting. Now that is really difficult when we recognize that unfortunate events are often those very events that cause temptations of doubt to rise up in our hearts. And so what are we to do? I'm going to give you a couple things this morning. Number one, Don't ever forget what this passage says. This passage says that the one who doubts is unstable in all his ways and will never receive anything from the Lord. Now now that, when I read that and I translate that into real life, that's very motivating for me. Like when the Lord says, if you doubt me, not only are you not going to get wisdom, you're not going to get anything. He has my attention. Because I want something more than nothing from the Lord who gave his son for me so that I might know he would freely give me all things. So I want something more than nothing. I want something to the measure of the gift of Christ in my life. And here I have an opportunity where God is telling me, ask me for wisdom. I'm going to give you of a measure that you can't imagine. But don't ask, doubting. So I'm motivated not to be a doubter. I don't want to doubt. I want to trust and I want to receive the wisdom God has promised me so that in any and every unfortunate event, I can find God and know how to take the very next step. So I'm motivated because of what God's word says. I believe that. Second thing I want to tell you we can do. Comes out of a story in Mark chapter 9. This is a story about John James and Peter going up to a mountain with Jesus. And on that mountain, they see a glimpse of Jesus' glory. Amazing experience. While Peter, James, and John and Jesus were up on that mountain experiencing this amazing glimpse of the glory of Christ, the other nine disciples are down at the bottom of the mountain dealing with a bunch of people who are coming and asking for them to do something for them. And one of the gentlemen who came was a man who brought his son, and his son was demon-possessed. He brought his son to see Jesus, but Jesus was up on the mountain with the three, and the other nine were down there, and they say to the guy, hey, we'll try to help you out. And they begin to try to help deliver this boy from demon possession. Now, if you can imagine what it's like to be that father, to see the nine disciples of Jesus do whatever they do to give their best shot at it, only to fail every single time. you got to believe that somewhere along the line, that dad started thinking, I don't know if my son can be fixed. So in that tense moment of failure among the nine disciples, Jesus and the three come back, and the man asks Jesus, can you deliver my boy? And Jesus responds saying, can I? Everything is possible for the one who believes. And the man says, I believe, help me 
overcome my doubt. Isn't that interesting? I believe you can do it. But I also want you to know I'm struggling because of this unfortunate event I've been walking through that is wrecking my heart. Can't you see that? Jesus takes that boy and he heals him. And he sends that dad and his boy back home. Now, don't you know, as that man walked home, that he didn't feel doubt anymore. Don't you know that he walked home feeling more faith in the Lord than he'd ever felt in his life. And the doubt only moments before seemed to threaten his heart was completely dispelled. And don't you know that that man, the next unfortunate event he encountered, had a lot more faith and a lot less doubt and found the Lord a lot easier. You know what the man did? It's really simple. He said, I believe, but help me with my doubt. And then he did the one thing that demonstrated that his request of Jesus was one of faith, not doubt. He gave Jesus his son. He just said, here, here's my boy. I trust you. I'm struggling in my heart, but I'm going to turn him over to you. And the moment he turned him over to Jesus, Jesus worked in his life in such a way that doubt was dispelled and faith grew and his son was restored. Isn't that beautiful? You know what you have to do? Simple. We have to surrender our lives and our events fully to Jesus Christ. Lord, here's my life. I got a lot of questions about this event. I got a lot of emotions here. I got some doubt creeping up in my heart about what you're doing. But Lord, here's what I'm going to do. I'm just gonna give you my life. I'm gonna surrender all of this, all of me, all of my dreams, all of my hopes, all the ways I think you should be acting, I'm just gonna surrender it all to you. I'm gonna surrender this event, all its circumstances, everything about it, I'm just gonna surrender it to you. And I'm gonna trust you with my request to give me wisdom. When I was in college, Working in a job, I learned one of the most valuable lessons in life, how to kill the common house fly. I was working in a hamburger joint, lots of flies around. So me and a buddy that were working there, we had a contest, see how many flies we could kill. When you're in a contest to kill a lot of house flies, you try to learn the best method, which we did. We discovered the best method of killing a house fly is to hold two hands on each side of the fly, and right above the fly, just bring them together at the same time. The kill rate is phenomenal with this method. It's incredible. And now later, I discovered in a little excerpt from the, the magazine, the science journal Nature, that they'd done a study on the neuroscience of flies and actually determined that flies 
um, are able, their brains are able to react as long as something's coming from one direction. They know how to fly. But if you give them two directions, simultaneously their brain just freezes and they can't figure out where to fly. And so they fly straight up in the oncoming objects and they're killed. It's like scientifically proven this is the way to kill flies. I discovered that. Didn't have to go get a PhD. I just had to flip burgers. It was an amazing summer of learning. And so I'm sharing this bit of intelligence with you. I know your life will be better for it. And so, so here's what I want you to think about. God's promise to give you wisdom that you need based on his goodness in the times you need it most is on one side of our life. And oftentimes on the other side of our life, is the unfortunate event we're living in. And if you see the unfortunate event as the enemy of your best summer ever, what God wants you to have, you'll become immobilized and you will not get anything you ask for. But if you will surrender your life in that event to the Lord Jesus Christ, Trusting he can take that event, pour his wisdom into it, and lead you to the very next step towards joy. You won't find yourself caught in between anything. You'll find yourself filled with the Spirit of God and moved toward Christ, even through an unfortunate event. This is the best summer ever. And there is no reason not to experience it, even through a series of unfortunate events. So consider it all joy.